It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, Internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, January 6, 2010. We welcome you to the program. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is here. Hello, Dad. Jacob. Great to be with you tonight. Looking forward to our Bible study. Looking forward to our discussion. We're glad you're on the other end of the line tonight. The number to call to be a part of the program is 877-381-4567. That's toll-free. Or you can send us an email to questions at collegeview.com. And if you're watching our video feed from thevirtualbiblestudy.com, there's a chat room on the right side of the video screen. You can join in with other listeners there. We have an interesting guest on the program tonight. Uh, John McLemore is from Lewistown, Montana, where he preaches for the Church of Christ in Lewistown, Montana. And he's been the recent uh, guest, a recent star, really, on NBC's The Sing-Off. He's part of the group, the Street Corner Symphony, and uh, they were runners-up on uh, NBC's program. John joins us on the phone line tonight. John, welcome uh, to the program. Thank you, Jacob. It's uh, really a pleasure to be with you. Appreciate the invitation. And we were talking before the program began. Uh, you guys, uh, your head's spinning right now, probably. Yeah, it's uh, it's actually overwhelming at the moment because we're receiving so many calls and requests uh, for information that uh, we're going to have to get some support soon uh, to handle it all. Well, uh, you, you guys are good. From what I've seen of your videos, your singing, uh, you guys have really got some talent. Now, John, this is all a cappella singing, and and uh, all the groups that were involved in this context were singing a cappella. Obviously, it's not religious music. It's it's other kinds of music put to a cappella uh, format. I, is, am I correct? That's correct. And uh, what, what, just uh, quickly, what's it like? Uh, what was the experience like for you there with that uh, with that program? Well, I'd say getting to know the other groups was really uh, the high point of it. Uh, just hanging out with the singers, they were so uh, wonderful. And uh, it was challenging, though. We we pulled really long days, sometimes 12, 14-hour days, and it was just physically and mentally exhausting. Now, was this uh, but all overall, a, a very... Go, go, I'm sorry, was this all done out in California? Yes, the first four episodes we actually pre-recorded back in August, and then the finale was live. Oh, okay, all right. Well, great. Well, during that uh, that program, John, you were interviewed, uh, your group was interviewed, and uh, you guys uh, let it be known that you like to, you called it unpractice, where you get together with the, the group and you uh, drink beers, hit the watering holes, and uh, and so on. Um and uh, so it came out in, in the program that uh, that you have no problem drinking, in fact, enjoy it. And we wanted to talk with you about that when we found out uh, your affiliation with uh, the church there in Lewistown. Yeah. The quote we had, John, just to get it as accurate as we can, you uh, on, on that, they kind of interviewed you all as a background to your per- first, first performance. And, they, and you were on the interview saying, we're just some laid-back Southern guys. We like to fish and hang out. We like to unpractice. We get together, and not only do we practice, but we drink beer. And then one of the other members of the group 
said that you all like to hit the local watering holes. And so that I wanted to get that as accurate as we could. Now, obviously, and, I, and, and in talking with you before we went on the air, I think this came up too, that this, is, this has caused some pushback or some feedback at least from different ones asking about your statement in connection with the fact that you're a preacher for the Church of Christ there in Montana. And I'm sure you're being questioned as to whether that is appropriate or proper and and the and the broader question of should Christians be drinking uh, at all? So, it, so sort of give us uh, maybe a, a rundown as to what kind of feedback you're getting and how you're responding to that. Yeah, very good. I think you I think you explained the issue very well. Actually, I feel like there are two different issues. One is that it was a TV show and. On TV, things are not always what they seem. Now, it's true that our group does have a few members who like to drink quite a bit, but honestly, I'm not one of those. Um, the thing was, the show needed to put us in a box, and they needed us to have a, a distinct label so that the audience could kind of grab onto it very easily. And they wanted us to be the laid-back Southern guys who like to drink beer and have fun. And there was, there was really, another group. There was another group that was sort of from a religious perspective, I think, right? Exactly. Yeah. And you know, they they kind of had that monopoly on the the Christian group aspect. And see, I talked a lot in the interviews about my faith, about my family. Uh, but from watching the show, you would never know that I have five children or that I'm even a Christian uh, because they just they that did not fit our persona that they needed us to have. But they needed you to fit in um, the box then, in other words. Yeah, and it's amazing how, honestly, they they would ask us questions and, and we would answer and then they'd say, well, how about we say it this way? And then they would, after a while, they just started handing us scripts because they needed to get sound bites. Uh, and we were starting to get frustrated because sometimes uh, it was just not re- not reality at all. And they were saying, well, we need this sound bite, so can you just say it this way? And so finally we just started saying whatever they wanted. Okay. Um, what kind of uh, what kind of feedback have you on your blog? Uh, you got uh, mostly supportive feedback. Uh, Nancy from Johnstown, Pennsylvania said, no judgment coming from us here in Pennsylvania, only our votes and best wishes. You make it big time. Jason says, you owe nobody any explanation. Know that if you're ever in my neck of the woods, the first Bud Light's on me. Um Let's see, uh, Jeremy uh, says, I'm a Christian and I love, love, love beer. Uh, and uh, so uh, uh, Dana from Iowa says, the fact you drink beer makes you much more of a common folk in the eyes of this Iowan. Uh, nothing wrong with an ice cold beer and some great street corner symphony. So has uh, that been the general tone of most of the feedback you've been getting? Well, no, I've actually got a good, uh, a pretty good balance. Uh, even some of my relatives have contacted me uh, privately and wanted a, wanted some clarification on that. And, of course, I needed to explain to the church here, and I actually told them beforehand, I said, here's what is going to be on the show, and I kind of gave them a heads up. And they they understood, and they've been really supportive. Well, now, uh, explain so that. Say, okay, so now what I'd like to hear, John, I'd like to hear the explanation that you gave to the church that could turn them to being supportive of their preacher on TV saying, I like to kick back and drink beer. Uh, I mean, uh, to me, that seemed like that'd be a really hard thing to explain to the. To Are you me. saying that the congregation here would not uh, take? It? I, I, I'm Have the preacher here, and I don't think that I don't think that sale here. Uh, t- tell us how you explained it to them, so that they became supportive of your position on it. Well, 
we have a a very diverse group of people, and there are actually a few of our members who drink beer and honestly drink a lot more beer than I do. Um, and so I was able to present this, first of all, from the TV aspect that really a lot of these things were scripted. But it also gave me an opportunity, like two weeks ago, I delivered a whole sermon on the subject of alcohol. And our com- we have conservative members and the lesson was very well received because actually, because of this issue, I've had to jump into the scriptures even deeper uh, and study more on it. Um, and I was really surprised as I started studying to see that I feel like the scriptures actually speak positively about wine and strong drink that in a way that I had never even noticed before. And so I just presented it in a kind of a balanced way, and it was very well received. Um, and I think if, if I could boil it down, you know, there's a third, kind of a third issue, and that is this is an opportunity to open open up some dialogue about a controversial thing, uh, and it also gives us opportunity to practice some things that we need to practice like patience and love uh, when we don't agree on something. So it's 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 kind of an opportunity, and, and the church here actually is looking at it as a positive thing uh, for us. All right, uh, John, uh, let's get into what the Bible teaches on the subject and your and your view of it. Um, what uh, what restrictions do you see that the Bible does place on uh, on the consumption of alcohol? Well, I think that it's very clear um, that drunkenness, um, intoxication, is uh, clearly forbidden. Uh, that's not acceptable, um, and. I think most of the people who are sincere, and even if they would have a drink with their dinner or whatever, they would agree that that there is a that there's a, a definite uh, prohibition on that. Okay, we agree with that, surely. Yeah, verses like Romans thirteen twelve through fourteen. Uh, you probably brought some of these up in your in your sermons. Uh, Galatians five nineteen through twenty one listed as a work of the flesh. Uh, drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God, according to First Corinthians six nine and ten. Um, and uh, even uh, faithful Christians are forbidden to associate with those who uh, who are brethren who are drunkards, according to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. So, uh, and John, I think you'd agree with all of those passages. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, now uh, take us the next step then. You you suggested that there in the Scriptures you found favorable reference to wine and strong drink. Uh, take us there. Well, in the Old Testament, uh, I found numerous passages uh, that we we, did, we wouldn't have time to read them all, but just to name a couple, like Psalm 104, around verses 14 and 15, uh, it actually gives, it attributes the gift of wine that gladdens the heart of man, it attributes that as a gift from God. Also, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 7, uh, eat your food with gladness, drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it's now what uh, now that God favors what you do. And also for the medical um, purposes, you know, Paul encouraged Timothy to take a little wine to help with his stomach problems. And so those are just a, a few, I think, of many examples where the, the scriptures speak um, just in a positive uh, way about it. Okay. All right. Um, so then, uh, John, what, where's, the, where's the limit? Uh, you, so, so you'd say drunkenness is, is sinful. Uh, drinking, according to the scriptures, you would say, would be uh, not not only uh, allowed but uh, spoken of positively. Where, where do you draw the line? Well, I think that it would be different for different people. Um, 
for instance, a fellow who is 6'4 and 250 pounds, he could probably have a, a glass of wine with dinner or two and it not be affected at all. Um, but then uh, maybe uh, a smaller person, uh, a four foot eleven, you know, and petite, could not drink one or two glasses of wine because she would be intoxicated or, or, you know, affected in a different way. Um, John, I've never drunk alcohol. Um, so, what, what's the effect that you're going here with the consumption when you when you unpractice or when you drink the alcohol? What what effects are you going for there? Well, honestly, I don't. I don't drink a lot. Um, I will occasionally try a few things uh, just to see what they taste like. Um, and honestly, I I do not feel that people should just go and and drink so as to lower inhibitions so that they can feel more comfortable and maybe have more fun. I think that's just not wise, and I think it's dangerous because I think the greatest well, I think the reason that it is simple to be intoxicated is because you lose your um, you lose control over yourself, and so then you are prone to maybe hurt yourself or do things that uh, do things other things that are sinful, uh, and so that's the reason that it's wrong. And if you're drinking to the point that that's happening, you're clearly um, you're clearly in the wrong. But if you're just having a beer with your dinner, I wouldn't forbid that or, or condemn someone for doing that because if you can drink your beer with your dinner and then have full control of yourself, then I don't see how you are becoming intoxicated. Okay, now let me take let me take this just a little different direction, John. Would you make the same argument about uh, drugs? In other words, maybe smoking marijuana. Would you make the same argument? If I, if I smoke without becoming out of control or completely stoned, would would you argue that that would be an acceptable thing? Well, I feel like with marijuana, it's not probably not as gradual. I think there's probably a – I don't really know a lot about it, but it seems like there's more of a on-off kind of situation. I don't know if you can be a little bit high or more high. I'm, I'm just really not educated on that. But Well, I'm not either, but I'm just wondering. If, in other words, it seems to me that if you're going to be consistent in this in, in your position, that you can take something that alters your mental faculties – and I think all experts agree that the very first sip of an alcoholic uh, drink begins the process of altering the mind. It's the first step toward intoxication. If, but if, if your argument is you can do that if you have the ability to stop before it reaches some level of extreme, then I think you'd have to, to be consistent. You'd have to allow the fellow who wants to smoke his joint the the same uh, ability, or the person who wants to take some drug, uh, uh, if he takes it, but he's still functional. In other words, he, he takes his drugs, but he's still able to function. He's not out of it, so to speak. Uh, it seems to me that consistency would require you to go to that to that spot. John, John, yeah, oh, so go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I think that's a good point. Um, I would maybe liken it to. A, a drug that's also legal, um, maybe like ibuprofen or something, because I can take a couple and it's and it's helpful. But if I take 50, I'm hurting myself, uh, you know. And clearly, marijuana and 
cocaine and uh, meth or whatever. Those things are, I don't, I don't see that they're, well, with the exception of marijuana, because here in Montana, uh, you can get a card so as to purchase marijuana for medical reasons. And I know of some people who have benefited from that, maybe terminally ill patients um, and that sort of thing. But uh, it just seems to me that with those drugs, it's it's very clear that there is absolutely no uh, no benefit uh, from taking those drugs, hard drugs. All right, let's uh, let's take a break. And uh, if you'd like to talk with John, it's eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Toll free. Send an email to questions at collegeu dot com or join in the chat room with other listeners. A lot of chatting and discussion going on there tonight as well. We're going to take a short break. We'll continue the discussion with John uh, McLemore on the other side. Don't go away. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we'll hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. I am Lester Sanchez from Arica, Chile, and South America, and I love to listen to the virtual Bible study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Broadcasting around the world with truths that are out of this world. The Virtual Bible Study. Take it away, guys. Hey, welcome back to, to the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We're talking with John McLemore from Lewistown, Montana. He's a member of the Street Corner Symphony. They were recently on NBC's The Sing-Off. They were runners-up, and uh, they made the comment that they like to kick back and drink beer. And uh, we're discussing uh, that uh, with John tonight. If you'd like to comment, it's 877-381-4567. Email questions at collegeview.com. Join in the chat room with other listeners. If you're wanting to comment on the chat room tonight, click on the guest button at the bottom of the chat window, and you can give yourself a nickname, or you can log on with your Facebook account, or you can create an account there uh, in the chat software. Uh, so you can join in with other listeners uh, tonight. Uh, John, uh, go ahead. John, uh, we appreciate you again for joining us tonight. Uh, you, you said uh, that there are some limits on how far you can go. When, are, are, when you drink beer, you don't drink much, but when you do drink, do you, are, you, are, are you drinking it for the flavor, or is there some other effect that you're going for? Uh, when I sit down and have a beer with my dinner, which is, I mean, very rare um, to occasional, uh, it's, for the, it's for the taste. Um, there are some that I enjoy and, and I do it in the privacy of my home and see if I didn't, if I hadn't gone on TV and said it, <laughs> yeah. nobody would know it. Well, that's, 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 the thing about, that's the thing about national television. <laughs> <laughs> here, 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 Mike, uh, uh, now let me make sure I understood that the implication of that statement. You were, you were in, you were a beer drinker or occasional beer drinker before all this came out. In other words, this is not a change in practice. This has been your normal practice. 
Yeah. Okay. And we 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 invited we we uh, uh, provided our listeners a chance to send in an email question that they'd like to ask you. So let me throw some of these at you, John, just to get your uh, you can answer real quick and briefly. Uh, uh, sure. Got a, a email from Bill in New Brunswick, Texas, who says, "Do you think your comments influence young people to try alcohol?" Oh, I don't know. And and you know, to be honest. One really big mistake I made with this whole thing is that I didn't think it through very much at all. From the time we auditioned for the show, we were just kind of like, hey, this would be fun. And honestly, that was a mistake. Um, and I, I realized that I need to apologize to a lot of people who might have been offended, uh, and I sincerely want to do that. Um, but as far as influencing young people to try alcohol, I really can't say. I would say that perhaps someone... Uh, might be influenced to try that. But honestly, my children, um, I'm very uh, diligent to try and instruct them uh, in the right way. And I don't think that I haven't seen um, any indication that it's encouraging them to try um, alcohol or to have a desire to drink it. Okay. Well, then a follow-up. If you thought you were encouraging young people to try alcohol, would you not want to do that? In other words, if it's a good thing for you to drink an occasional beer, is it a good thing for, well, let's, let's make sure we're legal age, but I've got, you know, here's a, here's a Christian, he's 18 years old. If it's good for you to, to drink a beer, would you, would you take the position it's good for him too? Uh, no, not at all. I, there are, I have some friends who are alcoholics and i have one buddy that i would tell him even if his doctor said to him hey you need to have a glass of wine with your dinner i would say absolutely not because you it's not an issue of alcohol it's an issue of self-control and you have obviously you don't have control and so what about that 18 year old we don't know yet if he's going to be an alcoholic what about that 18 year old that that takes your lead and begins to try to drink a little beer and it and then it explodes on him and he and he becomes an alcoholic I, I, i'm just asking about this 18 year old guy would you want him to try it or would you say best for you to just stay away from it yeah i think that's a very good question and honestly when i was a teenager we had a, a person teaching our uh teenage class and he was sitting there telling us hey man i think it's okay if people want to have a drink here and there and at that time i remember feeling very uncomfortable with that i thought man this is not appropriate for a teenage class um you know i think that it does need to be understood that there are things appropriate for certain ages because it's a it's about responsibility and i would say man i'm not going to tell you that you should never ever have a drink of alcohol it's about it's about maturity and self-control and your conscience. I mean, what does your conscience say? If it's going to violate your conscience, absolutely not. And I would never do that in front of somebody um, whose conscience might be violated by that. All right. Oh, we got an email from Chris in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, John, and he says, first off, he'd like to tell you you have tremendous talent from what he saw on YouTube. Uh, and I don't think he's a, I don't think he's alone in that. Um, he said he he wants to co- ask you a question. Doesn't want to come across in an ugly manner, but he says uh, if uh, they were alive today, do you think Jesus or Paul or Peter would sit down at a bar with you and have a beer or two? Honestly, uh, I feel like Jesus might. Um, and the reason I feel like that is because I see him spending a lot more time 
in social settings with the the sinners and the prostitutes and all that. And are you? Oh, we've lost John. Uh, we'll have to get him back on the line we'll here. I think get... uh, we'll work on that. Uh, yeah, uh, let's see here. We could take a break, Jacob, and try to remake our connection. All right, why don't we do that? Why don't you take your uh, take the the break here? We'll get this week's bullet point out of the way, and uh, during the break, you can get your emails together. Uh, you can uh, get in the chat room, or you can give us a call, and we'll uh, continue the discussion with John. Hopefully, right on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. A man has a chip on his shoulder. That's a common expression that conjures up an easy mental picture. A fellow places a chip of wood on his shoulder, and then he walks around waiting for someone to knock it off. He's spoiling for a fight and ready to react at the slightest provocation. He usually finds his opportunity in short order. The chip wearer is quick to take offense. He was just waiting for some petty reason to vent his anger and bitterness, and once he's found it, he will not let it go. His reaction is typically inappropriate and unreasonable. When others appeal to logic, common sense, and rational response, this angry man will not hear of it. He is mad and intends to stay that way. Dealing with such a person is always a difficult and trying experience. In a workplace, this fellow can sidetrack an entire operation. In a community or neighborhood, he can cause trouble for people far and wide. In a family, you can expect grief at every reunion and gathering. In the church, he will definitely cause strife, contention, and division. Sadly, these scenarios develop all too often. God's word is plain concerning the man with a chip on his shoulder. In Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 19, the works of the flesh are described, and included in them are wrath, strife, and envyings. And the apostle says, I tell you before, as I have told you also in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Children of God cannot afford to carry a chip on their shoulder. Doing so endangers the soul. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Cole, and I'm eight years old. My name is Thomas, and I'm seven years old. And our families love to listen to the virtual Bible study. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. We are back on the virtual Bible study tonight, and we've got John McLemore uh, back on the line. I guess uh, phone service out in Montana is still a little bit touchy, huh, John? Oh, is he there? We've lost him. We may have lost Noah. See here. There we go. John, are you there? Yes, sir. Okay. I'm here. Okay. Sorry about that. that. That phone service in Montana is still touchy, huh? Yeah, we're we're a little behind in everything. <laughs> <laughs> hey, John, real quick, we got another question. Uh, Cheryl from Indiana asked, "Would you like to be in a?" And she says, "That riotous establishment." I don't know what which one she's talking about. Let's let's just say you're in a bar drinking beer. Would you want to be in a, such an establishment drinking beer when the Lord returns? Well, that's a good question. That sounds like something my grandmother would say. <laughs> I, and she actually did say things like that on occasion. But, you know, it would just depend on my purpose. Um, if I was going over there to drink away my sorrows and escape, I would be ashamed. Uh, but I have a real good friend, even right now, that I'm trying to lead to the Lord. And honestly, these 
these comments that were made to him showed that I was kind of a down-to-earth, open-minded person. And he has, our relationship has grown in that way. And I'm not, I don't, I haven't been to a single bar here in town. And I think that if he wanted me to go with him and sit and drink a beer, I might go with him. And if I was there for the purpose of helping lead him to Christ, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind at all if I was sitting there when the Lord came back, because the Lord would know my heart. Okay. But let us go, let us go to um, some of the suggestions you made earlier in defense of wine and strong drink. Uh, the first thing I wanted to ask you, uh, uh, I'm, I'm under the definite understanding that uh, the word wine in the Bible is used to describe both what we would call grape juice and an intoxicating alcoholic beverage. Do you agree with me on that? Um, I, I believe so, but I really have a, a question about this because I don't, if I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction, you can tell me, but if, if it's, if the same word is used for both, it, it's, it's going to make it hard to um, correctly interpret because if it's non-alcoholic, why would there be admonitions against getting drunk on it? You know what I mean? Well, I think that if, I think the answer to that is that, you, that we've got to let the context decide which is which. For instance, let me give you an example from the Old Testament. In Isaiah 65, verse 8, Thus saith the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and one says, Destroy it not, for a blessing is in it, so will I do for my servant's sake that I may not destroy them all. In other words, it talks about new wine. It talks about wine while it's still in the cluster of the grapes. Now, that's obviously not alcoholic wine. That's just grape juice. The juice, while it's even still in the cluster, would be. But that's just evidence of the fact that uh, the the word is used there and doesn't mean an intoxicating beverage. Uh, now, sometimes it does. It definitely does. For instance, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. There is the kind of wine that you can get drunk on. So I, I just think that you've got to allow the context to, to dictate which is which. And I would argue that a lot of those statements in the Old Testament that suggest a blessing in wine are statements that uh, are, are talking about their harvest of the of the juice of the grape and is not a necessary reference to an alcoholic or intoxicating. Beverage. And lexicons would uh, would agree with that interpretation as well. Strong's, for instance, would reference the word that's translated wine can be mean intoxicating or or, or non intoxicating, non fermented juice. And so, you know, in answer to your position that the Old Testament suggests some favorable references to drinking. Or, or to wine itself. I, I don't know that there's any favorable reference to strong drink in the Old Testament. I'd have to, you'd have to show me that. But in in regards to wine in particular, I, I, that would be my answer. Now you made a you made a reference to Timothy being told to drink a little wine for his stomach's sake. In First Timothy chapter five verse twenty three, Paul says, "Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities." Uh, I believe that, that that statement is going to be the authority for us to use some some kinds of things that we wouldn't ordinarily use uh, for, for a medicinal benefit. For instance, the, the, a doctor may prescribe me certain narcotic drugs under certain circumstances of, of, of a health condition 
And I believe that that passage would authorize me to take those narcotics prescribed by a doctor for a legitimate health issue. It would be okay under those circumstances and not okay under other circumstances. Uh, would you would you agree with that observation? Well, probably not completely. I, I definitely understand that point, and I think it's a good one. Um, but at the same, same time, going back to that statement about new wine and, and it being non-alcoholic, um, I wonder about the context of like Acts chapter 2 around verse 13 and following, where the apostles are accused of being full of new wine, and the answer that they give is no, they're not drunk. Uh, so the context seems to imply that you can become drunk from new wine, or otherwise the apostles didn't understand what the accusation was. It could mean that, John, or it could mean that people knew the the abstinence that these people were famous for, and it was a term of derision, or they were insulting them, knowing that these guys were teetotalers, so to speak, and they drunk so much of their grape juice that they'd gotten drunk. Oh, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that, that they were that they were even that they could even become drunken on, on new wine. New wine, you know, you just can't, they just squeezed it, and, yeah. they, and they've drunk so much yeah. of it they're drunk. Yeah, uh, yeah, I've never heard heard that um, explanation, but let me um, let me let me go back one more time, real quickly, to First Timothy five twenty three. Uh, sure. When when Paul told Timothy when when he had to instruct him to use some wine for a medicinal benefit. What's implied in that is that as a normal course, here's Timothy. We know he was an exemplary Christian in the first century. And that, that, that verse implies that his normal course of action was to drink none at all. And that Paul had to instruct him to use some for a medicinal benefit. So actually, as I've talked about that passage with other people, I actually think that passage more powerfully proves that Christians under apostolic direction in the first century were total abstainers and that in the case of Timothy, he had to be coached to use a little for a medicinal benefit. And the argument is if he was drinking the glass of wine or the beer with his dinner, there'd be no no reason to give him the instruction because... Uh, yeah, yeah I, mean, I think it. it's pretty clear. I remember one time studying with some young people in Russia and they were, of course, all given to using alcohol and I, I referenced that verse to them and asked them what they concluded from it. And they were able to conclude. It seems that his normal course was to drink none at all. So well, that's true, and it also implies that, as Paul is, is giving him that instruction, that he's free to use it. So it also but, implies but that it's not necessary to be not necessary to be a total a teetotaler. Or totally yeah. Well, again, I, I mean, I I might take I, I might take any number of medicines under a. a for a medicinal purpose, for a reasonable medicinal purpose, that I wouldn't take just for the, uh, as a matter of entertainment or enjoyment, uh, you know, uh, to to get an effect not needed by my medical condition, I I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, Yeah, I see what you mean. um, All right. um, Let let me ask you this, uh, John. Um, Let's say that you were going to be placed in, you know, maybe you're going to the circus. I don't know. You've you got you got you've got five kids, so you probably will have to go to the circus from time to time. Let's say you're going to the circus, and you know you're going to have to stand in for the lion tamer when you get there. 
Uh, they're going to put you in the cage with the lion tamer. They'll give you a whip and uh, and tell you to, to have at it. Um, you're at dinner before you go to the circus. You, uh, would you would you at that time choose to to have your beer with the with your dinner uh, at that time, or would you abstain uh, from from the beer with your dinner at that meal? If you knew that you were going to the circus, you're going to be placed in the ring with a lion and be the lion tamer for the night. <laughs> I don't know. I. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I would have about eight or ten so that if I'm attacked, I wouldn't feel it. Uh, well, you probably have to save it <laughs> no. for afterwards. Uh, no, no. Uh, you, you, you no, probably, I'm just kidding. You probably see where I'm headed with that. Um, yeah. I, in First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we're told, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And, uh, John, the, the point I've made in the past, and I think it uh, it's applicable here, is uh, if we were going to be in a room with a literal lion, We'd want all of our uh, faculties about us. We wouldn't want to be inhibited at all. And um, and I think it, this spiritual parallel is true as well. In fact, the word that is translated sober is the Greek word nepho, which uh, literally means to be free from the influence of intoxicants, and strong uh, defines it as to abstain from wine. It seems logical to me in a physical realm that I'd want to do that if I was going to be in a room with a real lion. Um, and I think in the spiritual terms as well, it's even more dangerous for us to be under the influence of, of alcohol at all. Yeah. John, by email, uh, Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee, uh, questions whether or not it's uh, fair to use the Old Testament for authority uh, in the New Testament era. Uh, I don't know how you would feel about that. In other words, I think he's, he's uh, in, in regards to... Old Testament passages that might suggest some benefit to wine. I think he's asking, can we use Old Testament uh, as our authority? I, I'm sure you agree that that's not our authority uh, as as New right. Testament Christians. Uh, Jeff in Columbia, Tennessee, asked, where does he get his authority for this? And that's sort of what we've been talking about. Uh, if you were to sure. summarize real quickly and answer that question. Where do you get your authority? What, how would you answer? Uh, no, I wouldn't draw authority from those passages in the Old Testament. More, more so, what I feel that is is provides a principle, um, and and it's worth looking at because, as I mentioned, this this was kind of new to me to find so many references that appear to be positive toward it. So I'm I'm still working on that, but it was just worthy to note. I think uh, as far as authority. Uh, I still have questions, you know, about like John chapter 2, which the way I read it, and I've even looked and asked people who have studied Greek um, about the language there, and it appears that in John chapter 2 when Jesus created wine, that it was wine that the guests could have become drunk from had they had that wine um, at the beginning of the feast. Uh, It just kind of appears that way, and I haven't heard any explanation as to how that could not be, because the Greek word there that says when they have well drunk, that word means to drink to intoxication, um, and that's the wine that Jesus made. I, 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 I'd like to find your source on that definition of it. Uh, actually, uh, I would disagree with that conclusion. Jesus, if you calculate, he didn't produce just a little wine there at Cana of Galilee. He produced a ton of wine. Uh, uh, yeah, it was uh, of, gallons, uh, of yeah, gallons. gallons upon gallons of wine. And if he was providing intoxicating drink to people who are already 
well drunk, that is, that they were already on, on, at the level of approaching or at intoxication, then you'd have Jesus violating Habakkuk 2.15, woe to him that giveth his neighbor drink, that putteth the bottle to him, and maketh him drunk also. I don't think Jesus was given more uh, gallons upon gallons of more some wine. Some people say maybe going. 150 gallons or more. Yeah. So th- this was uh, this is equivalent of a, an incredible keg party at, at a fraternity house, and Jesus was throwing more uh, liquor in the mix. Yeah. Uh, I, I just I would dis- respectfully disagree with your conclusion on that. Uh, uh, and, and, and furthermore, there's some historical references that refer to the good wine as that which was non-intoxicating. Uh, it was more desirable at that time to have the non-intoxicating wine than it would be the the, the, uh, the you, alcoholic. You know, I think what's going on there, uh, the, the 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 governor of the feast said, "Why did you keep the good stuff till last?" And that's not a it's not a reference to the level of in, uh, of alcohol in the wine. It's it's a, a, a reference to the quality of the grape juice. No, in other words, it's typical when you have guests in your home to, to serve the best first. Then if you need more, you may. I've I've used the illustration. I might have some people over from steak for for a steak dinner on the grill. But if the steak is all used up and people are still hungry, I might have to break out hamburger. And if they're still hungry after all the hamburgers gone, I might have to break out the hot dogs. But I serve the steaks first, mm-hmm. and that's all that John two is saying. I think. Uh, does okay. that make sense, John? Well, I think it does. And like I said, I'm you know I'm I'm still studying on it. It's just that I, I have questions about that because it it really seems like in order to be consistent, you have to just kind of pick and choose when they're referring to non-alcoholic and when they're referring referring to alcoholic. Well, the, so the, I, the word, I, just, the I word, feel it's an issue of consistency. The word is not discriminant. According even according to the lexicographers, the 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 word itself can mean intoxicating or non-intoxicating, and so we have to use the context to determine that. Uh, you know, that's uh, that's just the way it, that the, the the word is used. Um, we got an email. Let me ask another question from email, John. Uh, this is from Patrick in Birmingham. We haven't heard from Patrick in a good while. Patrick, glad you're listening tonight. He says. The idea that drinking alcohol is acceptable for a Christian is contrary uh, to what is, see, the idea that drinking alcohol is acceptable for the Christian is contrary to what is typically taught in the Church of Christ. In other words, he's saying, this fellow is not, I think he used to be a member of the Church of Christ, but he's not any longer. But he's saying he understands that in the Churches of Christ, we usually teach don't drink alcohol. He wants to know if you, John, hold any other beliefs that are atypical for the Church of Christ. Did you hold a different belief about the consumption of alcohol in the past? And if so, what made you change your position? I don't know. That may be a, too long of a question to deal with. But basically he's saying. Well, I, I think, John, you said that you grew up uh, being opposed to those who would come to your teenage class and say it would be okay to drink alcohol. Yeah. and. Virus was, database I'm has been baby. updated. It was always that, and I never took a drink. Uh, I never tasted a beer or anything until I was about 23 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, and I probably feel very much the same as I did then. It's just, it, for me, it's more about a principle of being responsible rather than about a rule of saying, no, you cannot drink. Because I think if you, especially with young people, if you tell them, you cannot do this, it is wrong, don't do it, then there's some, you need to give them more, uh, more explanation because sometimes that encourages them to go and try it just out of spite. Okay, John, uh, he also asked the question, what made you change your position? So you went, uh, at, at, 
growing up, you were taught that you know not to drink at all. Uh, around 23, you changed your position. Uh, can you share with us what caused you to change that position? No, actually, I, I don't think I had much of a position. Okay, um, okay, you weren't convicted. But my position was that I was not of age, uh, so okay. it wasn't an issue for me. I, I never wanted to go and drink as a teenager. Uh, just because I knew that it was illegal. All right, so you weren't convicted. Hey, John, if you can hang with us, we, uh, we're going to take another break, and we, we're gonna, we wrap up at the top of the hour. So we, if you can hang with us just a few more minutes. I wanna, when we get back from this break, I want to ask you whether you feel like you've been held to a, a, a double standard that because you're a preacher that maybe you are under more scrutiny and being judged more harshly than someone who's not. We'll go to that when we get back from this break. All right, don't go anywhere. Uh, the virtual Bible study okay. continues right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee, and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects, and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Hi, I'm Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a suggestion for you and your family. Why not turn off the TV on Thursday nights and gather the family around the computer for an hour of in-depth Bible study? The virtual Bible study always involves subjects of importance and interest to serious Bible students. So, why not join this Internet Bible study group every Thursday night? And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Colossians 3:17. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. We're talking with John McLemore of the Street Corner Sympathy, Symphony. Symphony. <laughs> Woo. They were on uh, NBC's The Sing-Off, and they were runners-up. And, uh, and, so, and they made the comment... Uh, that they uh, enjoy to get together and drink beer. Uh, John does drink. He uh, does uh, so on a limited basis, but uh, he's been kind enough to join us from Lewistown, Montana, and appreciate you for being here tonight, John. Hey, John, I ask, yes, I ask our listeners to, to deal with the question, uh, is there a double standard here? But does the fact that you're a preacher make your case different than some other Christian? Do you feel? Do you do you personally feel it that you've maybe been held to a higher standard because of that? Maybe unfairly so. Uh, you know, not with this issue. I I haven't really felt that way. Um, and maybe that's because I don't I don't feel like I'm any different than than the average Christian, if that's even a term. Well, you know what I mean. I, yeah, I I just feel like I'm a Christian first, and I happen to serve in this capacity. Well, I feel that so way I too as a preacher. But I, but my point is, 
do you think other people, in other words, if this was just another member of the church out there, and it was, it, and, it be, and it became known that he drinks about beer occasionally. Do you think that that person would have the, the reaction to that person would have been less than the reaction to you? You're the preacher. Yeah, I think it. I think uh, it probably would have um, been been different because I know that, like for instance, there are a few, uh, at least a couple of our members here who will have a, a beer with their supper. And as far as I know, they haven't. They never had the answer and, for it. <laughs> they never had to they, give an yeah, answer. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Exactly. Well, some of our emailers have said, uh, your case should be no different. You're a man like the rest of us. God's moral standard is the same for everyone. That's from Bill in Texas. Chris in, in uh, Atlanta says, uh, we're all equal and have equal opportunity to influence a great number of people, either for good or bad, if we so choose. I would say your occupation or leadership position is irrelevant in this case. Elders and deacons do have additional qualifications, but in the end, our influence and the way we preach the gospel is an equal opportunity employer. Uh, Chris goes on to say, I used to feel, he's maybe a little bit different than John. He says, I used to feel that uh, that it was fine in moderation, that is drinking, citing such examples as Jesus turning water into wine, but uh, uh, being called a wine-bibber by his critics, etc. But after deeper study, I realized I was understanding Scripture wrong and was ignorant of the many facts concerning types of wine. So uh, Chris has gone from it's okay to drink in moderation to he's determined the Scriptures condemn it. Uh, Patrick in Birmingham writes, John, he says, uh, I believe that although the doctrine of the church is not different for different people, there is a sense in which the leaders of the church are held to a higher standard than the rest of the church. This is partly due to the fact that they tend to have more public exposure and partly because due to the nature of their position, their actions can have a greater impact for better or for worse upon other people. Uh, uh, he goes on. Eric's so. in the chat room tonight. Uh, Eric says, I think preachers should be held to a higher standard. So, uh, well, the, 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 I think, John, would you agree with me that the reality is preachers are held to a higher standard, whether they, whether it's right or not? Don't you agree? Yeah, I, I believe that's probably true. Okay. I'll, I'll, we're going to run out of time here in, in a minute, and we sure do appreciate you sticking with us. We had not told you at the start of the hour that, you'd, that we'd keep you for the whole hour, but it's it's been an important discussion, I think. I, I have one other question for you, and I, and I pose this to our listeners as well. You suggested that uh, a couple times in our discussion tonight, John, you suggested that maybe even if the Lord returned and found you in a bar drinking a beer with a person that you were trying to influence with the gospel, that that'd be okay. I mean, you you would even be okay if the Lord returned and you were in that bar drinking that beer with that guy, but the Lord would know, and you certainly know, that the reason for being there is because you were trying to influence him uh, toward obeying the gospel. Now, the question I have, and I put this out to our listeners as well, if that's, if that's a fair position, what limits would you place upon? In other words, is there anything you wouldn't do uh, it, it, just because it provided, in other words, if you do whatever and it gives you the chance to influence an unbeliever, are there any things that you would say that's out of bounds? I, I don't care if there. I don't care if there's a hundred unbelievers there. I can't do that. Yeah, honestly, I probably wouldn't have a second beer. I'd probably stop right there. Uh, hopefully, to provide an example of, hey man, you don't need to be in here having four or five beers. Uh, that's just not. That's not wise, you know. And I wouldn't become intoxicated in order to try to save someone. That's just not. 
that doesn't make any sense. Is it is it hard for you to take that high road though, John, when you've had one with him? No, and that's the thing. See, I've never felt a dependence or even a great desire to, you know, drink a lot. Um, and and I know that's different for some people because I know some guys that can't stop with one, and and that and it's a real problem. Uh, so it, that's why I think it's different for different people. And uh, for all of us, if if I could just say one one kind of concluding thought of what I have, what I hope to come out of this is that. We can have uh, love and understanding for one another, even though we obviously have differences uh, on this issue. And I, I talked a lot about Romans chapter 14 when I preached on this. And uh, I think it's about not, for one, not judging one another, but also not offending one another. And because and, if I'm drinking a beer in spite of you who you don't think I should be, then I'm not walking in love. And I think that there's a principle above all of this um, that we need to focus on instead of do it or don't do it, uh, and that's love and understanding for one another. Okay, so you would like to include this as a Romans 14 kind of consideration potentially? That, In other words, yes. uh, I'm, I, I object to, to drinking alcohol, but you don't, and therefore uh, I should not judge you in that matter. Uh, is that your conclusion? Well, to a to an extent, I don't want to run too far with it because I'm not trying to say that the person who will not take a drink is weak. Uh, that that would be running a little too far with it. Um, my point is that that some things do not bother your conscience, where it might bother someone else's conscience to do that. Well, would and, you apply? That, would, I'm sorry. Would you apply that principle then to the guy? What what about a fellow who wants to use that argument? And he wants to justify uh, using cocaine. He he wants to, in other words, uh, you don't, John. You don't you don't think a person should use cocaine, but he does. And and he's saying, well, uh, Romans 14 covers me on this. You, John, you got to back off, and you can't judge me in this matter. Uh, you're just going to have to let me have my own conviction about using cocaine. Well, I really feel that's a different matter. Because in the context of Romans chapter 14, Paul actually mentions drinking wine. If you're going to drink wine and it's going to offend your brother, you ought not do it because then you're not walking in love. That The, the cocaine is, is another, it's just a, a further step, I think, from that. It seems to me that that's clear cut. I, I, I don't have any justification for doing cocaine. I just don't have it. Okay. Uh, I, I would agree with that about cocaine, but I think that the the the, the problem of the breakdown there is that I, I think it's your position is inconsistent in regards to the alcohol on the same basis as it would be. Uh, I mean, I think I you got to Romans fourteen is not it's not dealing with sin or yeah, the sinful thing, things. The things under consideration in Romans fourteen are not sinful in and of themselves. Okay. All right. Um, uh, We've got got some emails along this line. Uh, Chris says we should never do anything that violates scripture or even comes close. Just because a non-Christian frequents a bar, that does not mean a bar is the only opportunity you'll have to share the gospel with them. We must share the gospel with as many people as possible, but do so without being entangled in the world. If we go to bars to share the gospel, then what would be wrong with going to adult video stores, nude bars, skipping Sunday worship to go to a denominational church to try and influence someone? 
we have a we have to realize that once you're out of bounds, there are no bounds. Lastly, not trying to be funny, but what if you were drinking a beer at a bar and happened to die? I certainly would not want to slip into eternity having a beer on my breath and being asked what I was doing before I died. Okay, that's Chris in Atlanta. Uh, uh, and then I got an email from Bill who says, probably to take a stand and be bold with the truth on an issue just like this one. We need to be bold, but yet say biblical truths with sincerity and love. Do not run with the crowd and do as they do. This is condoning their activity. Rise above the world. We are a peculiar people. Beer-drinking companions corrupt good morals. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's summarize our position uh, quickly, Dad. And, and, John, you can uh, you can listen to us quickly. First off, we, we agree, and, John, you agree. Drunkenness is condemned in the Old Testament. More importantly, it's condemned in the New Testament, Romans 13, 12 through 14, Galatians 5, 19 through 21, and other passages as well. We have no example of anyone in the New Testament consuming alcoholic uh, wine. No example whatsoever, and it, it, it's been uh, approved of. Not provable. In other no. words, for instance, in John 2, when Jesus made wine, we think it was not alcoholic okay. wine. Yes, because of the, of the context again. Right. Uh, we have, uh, furthermore, we have been instructed that we must be sober. And, and that, uh, and uh, Jeff uh, in Alabama sent in uh, a comment on this as well. Uh, the Greek word that is translated sober means to abstain from wine, thus be sober. That's a New Englishman's Greek concordance. Others say to be free from every form of mental and spiritual drunkenness, to com- be completely unaffected by wine, uh, to be free from the influence of intoxicants, according to Vine, and to abstain from wine, according to Strong. That word is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 6 through 8. You are children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. Be free from the influence of intoxicants. For they that sleep or, uh, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken are drunk in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober again, uh, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. And it goes on. First Peter chapter 1, verse 13 says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, or the word means to be free from the influence of intoxicants, to abstain from wine, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter chapter 4, verse 7, But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober, uh, free from the influence of intoxicants, abstaining from wine, and watch unto prayer. And then First Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil is a roaring lion, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. Um, and then we reference First Timothy chapter 5, uh, uh, or verse 23, where Timothy was told to drink wine. He was told to do it for his stomach's sake for medicinal purposes, indicating that Timothy was not consuming alcohol on a regular basis uh, for non-medicinal purposes. He had to be instructed to do so. Uh, Arthur in Cullioca, Tennessee, suggests First uh, Peter 4, verse 3, which I think is a powerful verse. We don't have time to talk about it, but I think a powerful verse on the subject of drinking at all. I think it condemns any drinking at all. What passage was that? First Peter 4, verse 3. First Peter 4, verse 3. Okay, uh, John. And, and, and a, a listener in Indiana writes, instead of going to a bar, why can't you go to a nice coffee shop and try to influence your friend? Uh, uh, all right. Uh, John, your final thoughts. Uh, well, I just I really appreciate uh, having a chance to come on and, and talk about this, and I really I don't want to encourage anyone to uh, violate their conscience or do something that um, they're not fully convinced of in their mind. You know what I mean? I'm not out here trying to encourage people to take up drinking, not at all. I would encourage people to study diligently and set their limitations, and if they don't want to have a drink then don't look over here and judge the fellow that does. And if they do want to have a drink, then just do it in their home and not try to flaunt it and so offend people. 
And, uh, John, I think you'd agree that we have to have Bible authority for it. We have to go to the Scriptures and be convinced that the Scriptures do authorize it. Without that, we can't, as Romans 14, verse 23 says, eat in faith or drink in faith. Uh, if we can't go to the Scriptures and find that God approves of it, then we're doing it without faith, and uh, we'll be damned. Uh, yes, that is true. But you do have to uh, understand that honest people are going to come to different conclusions uh, and we're all just trying to do the best that we can. And so if we obviously have a difference, then the issue is not alcohol anymore. It's love and understanding um, and unity in Christ, not unity in how we feel about alcohol. All right. John, we're out of time, but we sure do thank you for joining us from Lewiston, Montana tonight. Uh, we appreciate your time with us on the Virtual Bible Study. We appreciate your willingness to talk about yeah, this. Yeah, we really do. Again, we, 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 have different, we, have, we come to different conclusions on this. It's an important question. It influences and affects a lot of people. Uh, we're, we're glad that you were willing to talk with us and kind of investigate those differences that we have you know, on the subject. You know, John, uh, a listener of ours, Eric, had uh, clued me into to, uh, your sh- you being on the show and, uh, and your background. And um, when I first heard about what you had said, I thought, well, there's little chance that, uh, that you'd be willing to talk to us because most people wouldn't be willing to, to come on and, and to discuss their view. We really do appreciate you being willing to, to talk about it with us tonight. Hey, it's my pleasure. And, you know, you guys have given me some good things to think about, and I'm going to keep studying on it. So I just really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, John. John. Are we, we going to see you on TV anymore in the future? Uh, yeah, we, we have a few things. Uh, I, got, I, I should probably just keep them, keep them to myself until they uh, are confirmed. But, yeah, we've got a few big things coming up. We're really excited. All right. Okay. We'll, Thanks, we'll John. Forward. Thanks again for being with us. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. We appreciate uh, the time tonight, Dad. Thank you for the discussion. Thanks, Jake. A good discussion. We got yeah. a comment in here. We ought to do a follow up next week. We may uh, we may hold that off, but we'll we'll we definitely want to continue yeah, and, stuff. And, and apologies to the chat room people. Usually we we spend a lot of time trying to incorporate the chat room comments into the program. We were obviously busy talking with John tonight. We didn't get to. I, I know there was a ton of chatting going on there, and we didn't get a chance to to uh, take part in that. But we appreciate all those who are participating in the uh-huh. chat room. We appreciate. Uh, Appreciate Jeff for being behind the controls tonight and driving for us, and we appreciate you for being on the other end of the line. We hope you'll make plans to be back here next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 930 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.